This is the third in a series of four articles written by Dr. Ruby K. Payne, founder and president of AHA Process Incorporated, about understanding and working with students and adults from poverty. Working with students from poverty. Discipline. In poverty, discipline is often about penance and forgiveness. Because love is unconditional and because the time frame is the present, the notion that discipline should be instructive and change behavior is not a part of the culture in generational poverty. In matriarchal generational poverty, the mother is the most powerful position and is in some ways keeper of the soul. So she dispenses the judgments, determines the amount and price of penance, and gives forgiveness. When forgiveness is granted, behaviors and activities return to the way they were before the incident. It is important to note that the approach is to teach a separate set of behaviors. Many of the behaviors students bring to school help them survive outside of school. Students learn and use many different rules depending on the video game they are playing. Likewise, they need to learn to use different rules to be successful in the setting they are in. If poor students do not know how to fight physically, they are going to be in danger on the streets. But if that is their only method for resolving a problem, then they cannot be successful in school. The culture of poverty does not provide for success in the middle class because the middle class to a large extent requires the self-governance of behavior. To be successful in work and in school requires the self-governance of behavior. What then do schools need to do to teach appropriate behavior? Structure and Choice The two anchors of any effective discipline program that moves students to self-governance are structure and choice. The program must clearly outline the expected behaviors and the consequences of not choosing those behaviors. The program must also emphasize that the individual always has choice to follow or not to follow the expected behaviors. With each choice then comes consequence, either desirable or not desirable. Many discipline workshops use this approach and are available to schools. When the focus is, I'll tell you what to do and when, the student can never move from dependence to independence. He or she is always at the level of dependence. Behavior Analysis Mentally or in writing, teachers or administrators must first examine the behavior analysis. 1. Decide what behaviors the child needs to have to be successful. 2. Does the child have the resources to develop those behaviors? 3. Will it help to contact a parent? Are resources available through them? What resources are available through the school district? 4. How will behaviors be taught? 5. What are other choices the child could make? 6. What will help the child repeat the successful behavior? When those questions are completed, they provide answers to the strategies that will most help the student. In her book, Framework for Understanding Poverty, Dr. Payne presents a chart which indicates possible explanations of behaviors and possible interventions. The following are selections from this chart. Behavior related to poverty. Laughs when disciplined. 
a way to save face in matriarchal poverty. Intervention? Understand the reason for the behavior. Tell the student three or four other behaviors that would be more appropriate. Behavior related to poverty. Physically fights. Necessary to survive in poverty. Only knows the language of survival. Does not have language or belief system to use conflict resolution. Sees himself as less than a man if he does not fight. Intervention. Stress that fighting is unacceptable in school. Examine other options the student could live with at school. One option is not to settle the business at school. Behavior related to poverty. Hands always on someone else. Poverty has a heavy reliance on nonverbal data and touch. Intervention? Allow them to draw or doodle. Have them hold their hands behind their backs when in line or standing. Give them as much to do with their hands as possible in a constructive way. Behavior related to poverty. Extremely disorganized. Lack of planning, scheduling, or prioritizing skills. Not taught in poverty. Also, probably does not have a place to put things at home so they can be found. Intervention? Teach a simple color-coded method of organization in the classroom. Use the five-finger method for memory at the end of the day. Make students give a plan for their own organization. Behavior related to poverty. Only completed part of a task. No procedural self-talk. Does not see the whole task. Intervention. Write on the board all the parts of the task. Make students check off each part when finished. Participation of the student. While the teacher or administrator is analyzing, the student must analyze as well. To help students do so, give them this four-part questionnaire. Under the student's name, question one, what did you do? Question two, why did you do that? Question three, list four other things you could have done. Question four, what will you do next time? This has been used with students as young as second semester first grade. Students have the most difficulty with question number three. Basically, they see no other choices available than the one they have made. In going over the sheet with the student, it is important to discuss other choices that could have been made. Students often do not have access to another way to deal with the situation. For example, if I slam my finger in the car door, I can cry, cuss, hit the car, be silent, kick the tire, laugh, stoically open the car door, groan, etc. The language of negotiation. One of the bigger issues with students from poverty is that many of them are their own parents. They parent themselves and others, often younger siblings. In many instances, they are the parent to the adult in the household. Inside everyone's heads are internal voices that guide the individual. These three voices are referred to as the child voice, the adult voice, and the parent voice. It has been Dr. Payne's observation 
that individuals who have become their own parent quite young do not have an internal adult voice. They have a child voice and a parent voice, but not an adult voice. What an internal adult voice does is allow for negotiation. This voice provides the language of negotiation and allows the issues to be examined in a non-threatening way. Educators tend to speak to students in a parent voice, particularly in discipline situations. To the student who is already functioning as a parent, this is unbearable, and almost immediately the incident is exacerbated beyond the original happening. The tendency is for educators to also use the parent voice with poor parents because the assumption is that a lack of resources must indicate a lack of intelligence. Poor parents are extremely offended by this as well. When the parent voice is used with a student who is already a parent in many ways, the outcome is anger. The student is angry because anger is based on fear. What the parent voice forces the student to do is either use the child voice or use the parent voice. If the student uses the parent voice, the student will get in trouble. If the student uses the child voice, he or she will feel helpless and therefore at the mercy of the adult. Many students choose to use the parent voice in return because it is less frightening than the memories connected with being helpless. Part of the reality of poverty is the language of survival. There are simply not enough resources to engage in a discussion of them. For example, if there are five hot dogs and five people, the distribution of the food is fairly clear. The condiments for the hot dogs are going to be limited, so the discussion will be fairly limited as well. So the ability to see options and to negotiate among those options is not well developed. Contrast that, for example, with a middle-class household where the discussion will be about how many hot dogs, what should go on the hot dog, etc. To teach students to use the language of negotiation, one must first teach them the phrases they can use, especially beginning in grade 4, have them use the adult voice in discussions, direct teach the notion of an adult voice, and give them phrases to use. Make them tally each time they use a phrase from the adult voice. There will be laughter. However, over time, if teachers also model that voice in their interactions with students, they will hear more of those kinds of questions and statements. In addition to this, several staff development programs are available to teach peer negotiation as well. It is important that as a part of the negotiation, the culture of origin is not denigrated, but rather the ability to negotiate is seen as a survival skill for the work and school setting. Child voice. Defensive, victimized, emotional, whining, lose mentality, strong negative nonverbal. Examples are, quit picking on me, you don't love me, you want me to leave, nobody likes or loves me. I hate you. You are ugly. You make me sick. It's your fault. Don't blame me. She or he did it. You make me mad. You made me do it. The child voice is also playful, spontaneous, curious, etc. 
The previous phrases occur in conflict or manipulative situations and impede resolution. Adult voice. Non-judgmental, free of negative nonverbal, factual, often in question format, attitude of win-win. Examples are, in what ways could this be resolved? What criteria will be used to determine the effectiveness and quality of blank? I would like to recommend blank. What are the choices in this situation? I am comfortable or uncomfortable with blank. Options that could be considered are blank. For me to be comfortable, I need the following things to occur. These are the consequences of that choice or action. We agree to disagree. Parent voice. Authoritative. Directive. Judgmental. Evaluative. Win-lose mentality. Advising, sometimes threatening, demanding, or punitive. Examples are, You should not or should do that. It is wrong or right to do that. I would advise you to blank. That's stupid, immature, out of line, ridiculous. Life's not fair. Get busy. You are good, bad, worthless, beautiful, any judgmental, evaluative comment. You do as I say. If you weren't so blank, this wouldn't happen to you. The parent voice can also be very loving and supportive. The previous phrases occur during conflict and impede resolution. The internal parent voice can create shame and guilt. Using metaphor stories. Another technique for working with students and adults is to use a metaphor story. A metaphor story will help an individual voice issues that affect their actions. A metaphor story does not have any proper names in it. For example, a student keeps going to the nurse's office two or three times a week. There is nothing wrong with her, yet she keeps going. The adult might say to Jennifer the girl, Jennifer, I'm going to tell a story, and I need you to help me. It is about a fourth-grade girl much like yourself. I need you to help me tell the story because I am not in the fourth grade. Once upon a time, there was a girl who went to the nurse's office. Why did the girl go to the nurse's office? The child, Jennifer, answers, because she thought there was something wrong with her. The adult continues, so the girl went to the nurse's office because she thought there was something wrong with her. Did the nurse find anything wrong with her? Jennifer's answer, no, the nurse did not. So the nurse did not find anything wrong with her, yet the girl kept going to the nurse. Why did the girl keep going to the nurse? Because she thought there was something wrong with her? So the girl thought something was wrong with her. Why did the girl think there was something wrong with her? She saw a TV show. The story continues until the reason for the behavior is found, and then the story needs to end on a positive note. So she went to the doctor, and he gave her tests, and found that she was okay. This is an actual case. What came out in the story was that Jennifer 
had seen a TV show in which a girl her age had died suddenly and had never known she was ill. Jennifer's parents took her to the doctor. He ran tests and told her she was fine. She did not go to the nurse's office anymore. A metaphor story is to be used one-on-one -on -one when there is a need to understand the behavior and what is needed is to move the student to the appropriate behavior. Teaching Hidden Rules For example, if a student from poverty laughs when he is disciplined, the teacher needs to say, Do you use the same rules to play all video games? No, you don't because you would lose. The same is true at school. There are street rules and there are school rules. Each set of rules helps you to be successful where you are. So, at school, laughing when disciplined is not a choice. It does not help you to be successful. It only buys you more trouble. Keep a straight face and look contrite even if you aren't. That is an example of teaching a hidden rule. It can even be more straightforward with older students. Look, there are hidden rules on the street and hidden rules at school. What are they? And then, after the discussion, detail the rules that make the students successful where they are. What does this information mean in the school or work setting? Students from poverty need to have at least two sets of behaviors from which to choose, one set for the streets and one set for school and work. The purpose of discipline should be to promote successful behaviors at school. Teaching students to use the adult voice, in other words, the language of negotiation, is important for their success in and out of school and can become an alternative to physical aggression. Structure and choice need to be a part of the discipline approach. Discipline should be a form of instruction. This article, along with its accompanying charts and full bibliography, is available to everyone for viewing or downloading at our website, ahaprocess.com.